Hi, my name is Christian Cargo-Samard. I'm president and CEO of Aventis Mining Corporation. Aventis is a copper gold developer in Ecuador, three districts in the country. Our flagship project is Curipamba. This is the most economic copper development project in the world, a greenfields project that just has had some significant news in the last few months, completed a feasibility study, submitted our ESIA for governmental approval. And this week we have, we have raised uh, 265 million US to fully fund this project to commercial production. Uh, well, Christian, uh, thanks for joining us. Um, and that's exactly what I want to talk about today was the financing. So uh, the 235.5 million from uh, Wheaton and Traffigura and the 30 million equity. Uh, you said you would, you've done it. Mixed reaction from the market. That's a good opening uh, question. Uh, people are extremely happy with the financing package. I would argue it's one of the best financing packages for any single asset developer ever. Um, institution, our institutional investors thrilled, our strategic investors thrilled. Just imagine raising 235 million uh, for an Ecuadorian project uh, at less than 10% total cost, funding 95% of the capital cost with 88% of it being non-equity. That would be a great deal for a project in Canada, let alone Ecuador. That press release went directly to the president of Ecuador. And we think one of the strategies behind this is this is the largest committed uh, financing package for any project in Ecuador as a foreign direct investment, in any industry, pretty material. So uh, they're already playing ball with us. We're working quickly towards permits. This hopefully will supercharge that process. The flip side of it is the market. So uh, as you know, we've been telegraphing for a while here that by the end of January, we would either have sold a company or have significantly financed the project. So that was well out in the market. Uh, when we announced a feasibility study, we had a, a line there saying that we were in late stages of arranging $240 million of non-equity financing. I think uh, longer term investors in the company were waiting for that catalyst, potentially as a liquidity event to, to exit. I think shorter term investors might have said, okay, I'm going to trust Christian on this. I'm going to play the market for a month here and see what, what happens, uh, either a sale or, or financing or something else. Uh, so selling started. Brokers starting said, uh, started to send in bought deal letters. Uh, terms started to get discussed. Oh, a unit deal. Okay. Uh, a sales guy calls an existing shareholder. He hears a unit deal is coming. Okay, I'm selling the stock in the market to buy the unit. That train left the station sometime on Tuesday. I don't know how it did, who it, who did it, but uh, it was clear the market wanted us to raise equity and to raise sufficient equity uh, to fully fund this project to commercial production. There wasn't enough equity in the market to do a common share deal on that basis, but there was enough equity to do it as a unit. The half warrant, if you assume the proceeds from the half warrant were there. So that's how it all transpired. Very disappointed in having to do it 97 cents uh, for, the, for the unit, but it's done. Uh, we don't have to deal with that anymore going forward. And the difference in dilution between raising at $1.20 or 97 cents is minor in the whole schemes of de-risking the company. You're fully financed, so you, you can do what you want to do. So in, in a very meaningful way, 
I guess it doesn't matter what, how the market reacts in the short term. It's a case of what you do with the, with the, with the capital. But before we go there, um, I want to talk about the, the Wheaton and the Traffic Era component first. Do you feel you overpaid for that? Not at all. This is one of my areas of expertise. So uh, let me take, uh, take you back in terms of the history there. In 2018, I ran a process with the royalty and streaming companies to get uh, an equity funder in, in within that group to give me 10 million in equity for 10% premium in exchange for a right of first refusal on a precious metals stream. Uh, we had a few groups at the table. Wheaton stepped up. This was their first equity investment in 10 years. At the beginning of last year, they provided us with a concept proposal, similar to what you saw announced this week, slightly different though. That got us uh, into gear to run a process, determine if this truly was the best package uh, for the project. So over five months, you know, last year, we uh, solicited interest. We had uh, six groups come to the table. Wheaton was by far the best. So that was a good gut check. Um, why Wheaton was the best? Number one was flexibility. In Ecuador, it's a new mining country. Uh, as I've said in past talks, it's three steps forward, one step back. You do want to have flexibility on, on the financing. If you'd go with a bank you're in, and you're shut down for a month or you're delayed for you know here and there, you're, you're going to get bent over. So um, flexibility is important. Secondly is cost. No one was even close to Wheaton in terms of the cost of capital. So on a reserves only basis, using $1,700 gold and $22 silver, this is 4% money. If you throw in all the resources on top of that, it's 7.6% money. If you look at what the brokers have put out as research this week, it's ranged from 0% from BMO's note to 9% on the high end. So that's, that's for the, the Wheaton piece, plus a few other pieces would be they're giving 5 million of equity contribution. We can advance 13 and a half million pre-permits to advance the project. The stream is only on VMS deposits. So if you find a porphyry deposit in the district, there's no stream on that. And we can buy back a third of the stream for a defined 15% rate of return on a change of control prior to starting construction. So that, that's the Wheaton piece. The Wheaton piece only takes 12% of the revenues from the project. Well, that, that's important. That's really important um, because the, the comments that we've been getting in is going, they've just given away 50% of their gold. They've just given away 75% of their silver. It feels like there's nothing left. But you, you quoted the 12% number. Can you break that down for people and say, how do you get to that number? That doesn't feel so bad. Yeah, well, it, you just look at our feasibility study, you will see that silver and gold uh, at $1,700 gold and $22 silver is around 25% of the revenues on the, pro on the project. So you take 50% of the gold, silver is much smaller, 75%, but you also have to take into account the ongoing payment that, that they're making for deliveries of the gold and silver. So when you net that out, it's around 12% of the revenue. Then you take 175.5 million divided by 12%. That read through is a one and a half billion US value for the project. And Adventus is trading 100 million US. So uh, that that argument from people saying we're set, we're we're selling our souls, that I don't buy it. The all sustaining costs for the open pit reserves go from a dollar twenty six a pound to about a dollar fifty six a pound. Still lowest quartile in the world. The margin is there. We're we're not like a third third quartile project putting on a stream and now becoming a swing producer. Uh, 
this is the beauty of the deposit and the metal mix that we have. Right. Now going to Traffy, um, because 88% of the revenues are unencumbered, that allows us to do debt financing on that amount. And you don't, you don't need to do a lot to fully finance this project and have very low um, gearing threshold. So in the second half of 2021, I ran a process to find a second funder to work in tandem with Wheaton. We had six serious groups at the table. Traffy was by far the, the winner out of that. So it's 45 million of debt, eight and a half percent coupon and arrangement fee, some more an offtake on El Domo. They provided the best offtake terms of, of any group. They were the ones in the feasibility study. So this offtake doesn't change the economics of the project. It's market, there's no bells and whistles. Traffy has been watching this project for 10 years. They wanted to do a joint venture 10 years ago. They invested in Salazar. Um, so they finally got that exposure. Keep in mind, they are the largest non-Chinese oil buyer out of Ecuador. They have an Ecuadorian business. But I would say what is uh, similar to both Wheaton and Traffy is I've had a long-standing relationship with both groups going over 10 years. And that played, I think, a big role on getting not unique, but very good deals out of out of both of them. Right. So what does it mean? That, well, that's, what, that's what I want to get to because, because you know, you, you're talking about, okay, 8% is great, 0.5, so far is fine. But there's always conditions attached to these things. So what do you need to do to, to ensure that you do get this money? So what's incumbent on you? Yeah, so we have access to 23.5 million between both groups uh, pre-construction. And then the conditions precedent for drawing the rest down is having the ESI approval, which we expect uh, in the fourth quarter, and having at the time of the start of construction, 248 million US in the bank or arranged. Uh, now, we have to spend some money to de-risk the project before we get there, detailed engineering, some pre-construction works, uh, but that's why we raised equity here uh, so that we can get there um, and, and financing is no longer a risk on this project. I, I should mention as well, what does the pro forma cash flow look like if you put in the stream and the debt into the project economics? So the NPV8 uh, on the base case using long-term pricing called 350 copper was 308 million US in our feasibility study in October, a IRR of 32%. You layer in the financing packages, so that's the stream, the, all the debt aspects to it. That NPV drops by around 10 million bucks. So 308 to 298, call it. Uh, taking account the cost of the financing package, you would argue though that you should be trained at a higher multiple because you're fully financed. Where it gets really interesting is what is the rate of return of the project? And the rate of return goes from 32% to just shy of 100% after tax. So we have a fully financed Greenfields copper project in Ecuador. And at 350 copper, we're currently 450 today, has close to 100% after tax IR. You can't beat that anywhere on the planet. Uh, do, do you think with that explanation, people are going to understand why the deal that you've done, which how long does it take? A year put together? Oh, it's from start to finish here, yeah. Yeah, right. It takes a time, I, you know, and this is what we call, you know, pure structured finance uh, play here. Is it, it, feel, it feels to me like 
cheap money to allow you to do the things that you need to do. But can you just, you, you kind of gave us a hint that there are some things that you need to do to further de-risk this year. You've raised some equity, was it 30, what, million? Yeah, we, we raised uh, 30 million last night at, at equity. Right. Uh, the book, book as before I started the call was around 40 million. So we'll probably saw it off at 35. Or gotcha, okay, right. So let's talk about those de-risking components because you've got to be able to deliver those. So the, Actually, start with the government here because this is one of the biggest investments in country for some time. Um, you know, how have they been involved in, in this process? You sent a letter, or the, the press release directly to the president. What, what do they make of it? What are they expecting from you? Oh, in our last uh, talk, I said in October it was with the president, and it was an, a 90 minute meeting laying out the expectations from both sides. I said to the president, This is a very economic project, and we have the best metal backdrop ever to move this project forward. Don't worry about the financing. I have it arranged, I will deliver it. What I need you to deliver to us are the permits. Since that meeting, permits have been check, 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 all of the things along the way. And now I can go back to the president, or I have uh, with the team down in Ecuador and said, look, I, I deliver in what I said it would do. And this project means a lot to you and, and the country. So it's a collaborative approach here. Um, we are working on the investment agreement with the government of Ecuador. Of course, they're really incentivized to get this done over the next few months. Uh, we're looking at around a $250 million uh, package there. You asked what else we need to do to de-risk the project. We we split the project into two phases. I'm going to call it a pre-construction phase and then a construction phase. Combine it's, it's 24 months, two years is normal for, for a project. Well, we split it up really based on risk. So in the first six months, we want to complete road upgrade. We want to install our camp security perimeter. We want to start um, power line construction. We want to complete detailed engineering. We want to build a team. All those things that will allow you when you press the go button to mobilize 800 people without any risk to delays and get this done in 18 months. And during that six months, we wanna make sure that we build a control budget with enough detailed engineering in this crazy world so that we hopefully under, under um, spend and overspend. So that program over the next uh, call it six to 12 months is, is gonna cost about 25 million bucks and it's uh, it's going to include pre-construction works like people on the ground, machines, all that kind of stuff, camp installation, um, and we hope to press the go button on the on the big build starting earliest would be November uh, after the ESIA is is approved and prior to the rainy season. If for some reason we're delayed this year to get to that November start, we have to wait until the rainy season is over. So that means starting in April 2023. So there's around a four to five month buffer based on executing the pre-construction works and the rainy season, which the read through to production would be, if we hit the November 2022 start on construction, we're in production Q2 2024. If not, we're in production Q4 2020. Right, okay. So you, you, you got you got a buffer that, I'm trying to think of any, any, any other kind of roadblocks for you, and I guess if it gets much further so if it gets delayed significantly, there's a kind of clawback clause in there for your partner and a Salazar at some point. But that's not till 2024, is that right? Uh, that that uh, I, I don't know if the viewers understand that um, clause, but I'll explain it. Mm -hmm. 
when we did the initial deal with the Salazars, they didn't want a scenario where we were, we had all of our permits, copper was where it is today, and we're just sitting on our hands, not progressing the project to production. So we have until September 2024 to deliver certain milestones. One of them is completing uh, project financing. If we are able to raise and or have arranged or have in the bank $277 million is the number with by the by September 2024, that whole concept of dilution falls away. Gotcha. So with with this financing, we're that, that's that's a non-factor anymore. Fantastic. Okay, so that, that that's career plumbo. Um so we'll see you, we'll hopefully talk to you as you go through that de-risking process this year. Um, should we, can we talk about a few other things like expiration? They, they kind of, you know, you've got to grow this thing um, up. You've got a few targets here. And most people, most questions come into us about Santiago, right? Um, where, what's happening with that? How are you going to be spending money on it? Are you going to be monetizing? Same with Pahili. What's going on there? So can you give us an update on on those projects before we kind of get into exploration proper? Yeah, obviously, as a single asset company that does this pre-revenue, uh, building a, a major mine is is a tall task that takes majority of the cash out of the company. Uh, and so we should naturally re-rate through going through the stages I mentioned, getting the production. So that's the status quo budget plan. I put a second bucket, which is the NAV expansion bucket or the optional bucket. How can we make new discoveries or improve our feasibility study numbers, et cetera. That spending is gonna be based on access to capital and cost of capital. With the equity we just raised, we just unlocked some capital to allow for those different optional buckets to be financed. So the three in that, in those categories, in that category is Santiago drilling. Uh, there's no question it's it's a potential uh, game-changing asset for the company. Uh, we're making very good headway on being in a satisfactory security and social situation to drill, and we hope to be doing that shortly. Uh, so we have ring fenced two and a half million US for that this year. Uh, the second bucket is. Uh, in the feasibility study that we released, there's an underground five-year portion starting year 10. Uh, a 15-year mine life is not optimized. It's an optimized mine life is more like 10 to 11 years. So we want to bring that underground production in earlier into the mine plant through increasing the size of the process plant, probably in year three, and taking the production from 25,000 tons per annum copper equivalent to close to 40. 40,000 tons per annum of copper equivalent at lowest quartile cash costs is an attractive asset globally. And will only get more attractive as the copper price goes higher. Imagine uh, 40,000 tons per annum uh, at $1.50 all on sustaining costs with the stream and it's $10 copper. It's just puking cash. So we need to infill drill, do some expansion drill, doing geotechnical drilling on that underground piece in order to upgrade that to a feasibility study and produce an optimized call it 10 to 11 year mine plan. By doing that, we're gonna add 70 million of NPV8. So call it 50 cents a share uh, to, our, um, to, to the value of the project. Uh, and the third piece is regional 
Puri Pamba drilling. So drilling around El Domo to find additional DMSs, porphyries, those kind of things. We talked about all the targets. You know, we made the Aguasanta discovery earlier this year. On a risk reward basis, when I look at Santiago accelerating underground and Curipamba Regional, Curipamba Regional is actually the highest risk because generally we're looking for VMS deposits, which are smaller, um, more like needle in the haystack exploration than the other two. Um, so we, we will try to put some money towards exploration in Curipamba over the next few years, but right now the focus is Santiago and, and accelerating underground. And the, but um, so the community, sorry, I know you kind of quickly brushed over the community thing, but the, 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 there have been concerns there for you. How have you got over those? What have you had to do? Because it's a very important part of the, the ESG, people were talking about ESG every, every opportunity last year. You've seen it firsthand, the importance of it. So, what what were those conversations like? Uh, from from an ESG community perspective, Ecuador probably requires more spending than most countries globally. Um, a lot of it is education, and they just don't know how modern, responsible mining is. There isn't any mining of any sort in the province that we're in. There's a lot of community consultations that have been going on. We have strong support from our communities as well as this project is now very high profile, the, the danger is infiltration from outsider. That's going to be th the thing that we're solving over the next uh, two years. It's not uh, convincing 50% of the population if a mine should be built. Uh, one of the good things about the Wheaton deal is that they're probably leaders in the royalty space on ESG. And so they're committing substantial dollars, millions of dollars to support and um, uh, help fund our ESG programs over the next few years. We have additional consultation coming up with their ESAA uh, approval process, but a part of the uh, beauty of going into these next stages of, of development is we have access to more capital to, to do improvements in the communities, improve the quality of life of people. Uh, so overall, people are quite excited about this. Um, Okay. And I guess in these environments, like Christian, it's like, you know, time's not necessarily anyone's friend because time's money, right? So it's a case of, you know, do you think that the timelines that you've outlined are realistic or, and that you're in control of that? Or is there still some work to be done to agree that, uh, you know, the, 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 the social license or the permissions that you're going to need to move Santiago, you know, whether it be exploration drilling. Or oh, are we talking sport. about Santiago or Curupamba? I, 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 want to, I, want to, I want to talk about Santiago because that-, that, that Oh, okay, so sorry. I thought yeah. you meant Curupamba. I know you're so more broadly, right? But Santiago, yeah, yeah. please. We, we, um, well, let, let me, I think, reiterate the, the backdrop there. It's a very remote project. Yeah. The local communities are on the project, support the project. Um, the problem is that they're not next to the project. They're distal. So you have the anti-mining, anti-establishment people come to the project, they're not gonna be you know, blocking the road. Um, the project is not on any indigenous territories. It's an awful place to be. It's rains and uh, like and crazy winds and it's high altitude, but it also sticks out like a sore thumb. And so it becomes a, it's become a little bit of a lightning rod for anti-establishment, NGOs, some indigenous populations. So uh, historical incursions by those type of groups have been completely illegal. They're not protecting their own land per se. We have mineral, valid mineral concession rights. We have all the permits. This is a government uh, issue more than anything else. What we've done is a balanced approach where we have 
gone to speak to the people that have concerns about whatever uh, and, and with mediators and said violence is not the way to, to go. A social unrest is not the way to go. It's not like we're building a mine uh, either and we're providing a lot of benefits to the local communities. And then we've gone to the governor of Loha and we've gone to the, uh, the, the natural resource ministry up to the president's office to, to garner support for the project from a security perspective, a support perspective. So we have that all in place. Is it going to mean we're, not, there's not going to be challenges? No, I can't guarantee that. But there's, we're, we're starting to run out of, of, of things that we can do. Uh, and it's either we, we go into it with some element of risk or we continue to sit in our hands. Yeah. Well, look, I just want to talk about it because it's like the you know, operations on the ground are different from someone whacking their way through a, a PowerPoint. And so, look, and I don't want to take away from the, the positivity of, you know, getting the, the funds in place, but also likewise, some of the, you know, the secondary projects like Santiago, like Pahili, et cetera, you, you still need to, you know, get the, get the buy-in lo locally, right? So, um, Two and a half million bucks allocated to to that for exploration to try and advance that because the potential there is that it's a copper porphyry, right? So it, it's um, it's something you want to you want you want to get up, but you're not necessarily in control of the of the, of the, of the time frame there. So um, the the component which I guess is in your favour that you got you've got multiple multiple projects that you can also be looking at outside of your main projects, such as Pahili, which I think is quite attractive, but. How are you coming at that project? Yeah, if you had to rank the three projects right now, uh, Pahili would be third. Yeah, um, It would be the one that would be screaming for uh, cash the most. Fortunately, Ecuador has um, significant uh, global players in the mining business that are pouring you know, billions of dollars into exploration in the copper space, copper gold space. Uh, we have received uh, very strong interest uh, from several of these groups with a keen interest in Pahili. Mm -hmm. uh, so we are advancing uh, to a potential transaction on, on Pahili that I think the market would really like. And is that going to be from one of the neighbors? You've got a group in Mexico and um, Southern Copper nearby. So and no comment on that. It is a very large company and the market will like the deal. Okay, but th that, that's a monetization event. And again, you'll give us some color on what a construct could be. Because would you be keener to get some cash in, given the commitments you're making elsewhere? Or would you be happy with an equity deal given he may be part I, th I think on that asset, we would be interested in ideally cash, uh, make a return on our investment. So we put 10 million US into that so far. So a return on, on that cash and a royalty. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um, any other any other um, exploration budgets allocated for elsewhere? No, that that's that's all. That's uh, but let me take you through the, the key catalysts here over the next three months. Uh, number one is the hiring of the construction team. To, to build um, Kuripamba, really good people that you'll see announced. Number two is a potential transaction on Pahili. Number three is the investment agreement with the government of Ecuador. And God willing, Santiago. And five M&A, as in making yourselves look pretty for someone else. M&A is always in the background. Um, let's talk about M&A if, if, yeah. if you wish. Go on. Uh, we 
in parallel with the project financing last year, hired advisors to evaluate uh, the M&A landscape. And we had multiple, I would say, very interested parties where you're, you're talking in the room about a transaction. None of them were in the best interest of Adventus or Salazar. Um, it was very clear to us that we need to do a few things in order to get that knockout uh, sale. And those are, number one, finance the project on attractive terms. Uh, raising money for Ecuadorian projects, the traditional approach is difficult. Most banks do not uh, are not allowed to lend to Ecuador. So their revolvers don't work, project financing doesn't work. Um, and so there was a concern from groups on what the cost of capital would be um, and if it was even possible to raise capital for a project. It, it's actually deteriorated, the, the, the fiscal regime has deteriorated in Ecuador since uh, Fruto Norte got built. Fruto Norte's cost of capital is 14% for the first time. So we have had a big check mark on that. And that helps out some of the smaller producers um, uh, to, to get their head around M&A. The second thing is construction team. A lot of these interested parties are not in South America. No one is in Ecuador and there's Omicron. So to bring in a dedicated Ecuadorian construction team to layer onto the great team we put together today is another check mark. The third one is the ESIA approval. People see a lot of uh, news about Ecuador. A lot of it is red herrings. They don't understand the ESA process. They can't send people to do due diligence on the project. So getting that ESA done at the end of this year is very important. We think that project financing accelerates that ESA approval. The fourth thing is the size of the project. 25,000 tons per day, or sorry, tons per annum of copper at lowest quartile cash cost is great. With the stream and the debt uh, layered on top of it, at 350 copper, you're looking at 50 million US of free cash flow a year. That's a nice number, but that's still too small for a lot of groups. And so the acceleration of the underground to bring it forward to early years of the mine life, as I said to you earlier, helps get this scale out there to attract more players. I think that that uh, recipe of those four things, which are well in hand, which we'll execute this year, is only gonna increase the M&A interest as we go forward. As a former banker, market guy, there's no way I'm going to say no to an offer that is you know, a knockout. Uh, but we set ourselves up for success without having to deal with that at this point. Christian, good update. Appreciate that. Uh, you came on to tell us all about it and look forward to staying in touch with you as you um, deliver a few more of these uh, cutlass moments during the course of 2022. Appreciate your time today. Thanks. Thank you.